So that's a group called Christ in Action. They're actually part of, uh, supported by our fellowship. Uh, you can see they were in Corpus Christi. A lot of places got hit. Corpus Christi, um, uh, Santa Fe, uh, Rockport, and then, of course, most of what everybody most heard about was um, uh, Houston, which is where I went. And so, um, look, there is, look what all is going on in the world. I mean, there's, you've got the earthquakes in Mexico. You've got hurricane after hurricane. There's just a lot of opportunities to get involved, and, and people are hurting. If you've never been into a shelter where people have lost everything they have, these people are hurting. And the, the ministry that they do, that most, most all Christian organizations do, it is a ministry of presence. It is a ministry of hope. It is an opportunity to go in and pray with folks. They want to tell their stories. I want to tell you one thing I found out about people when they're in tragedy. They want to tell their story. They want to tell what happened to them. Uh, and and it, you, they just want somebody to listen to them. And then you listen to them. And I, I've never asked anyone, can I pray with you in a situation like that when they said, no, I don't want you praying with me. And then you look for the Holy Spirit to lead to that opportunity to share the gospel. And that's, that's how that works. I will tell you part of the training that I went through was they were just about told you that if you went down there and the first thing you did was start, start berating people about whether or not they were saved and they were going to go to hell if they didn't, they would politely ask you to go back to where you come from. Because we all know that even Christians in the times of immense crisis know what the Scripture says, but they don't necessarily want to be told that at that point. They want someone to listen to them and to care about what they're going through. And that's, that's what we do. And so I want to share a few pictures before I uh, start uh, tonight. So this is a lady named Jan. She was one of the chaplains that was down there with us. This is when we were working the shelters. This is Kendrick. I had a chance to talk to Kendrick. And um, so Kendrick is about six foot one. How Kendrick ended up in the storm, in the flood waters, I don't know. I don't know if his, I'm going to try to put this a little closer. I don't know if his house was flooded, flooding and he just said, I got to get out, but he was in the flood waters. And he said he was walking and he was jumping up to keep his nose above the water. And he thought he was going to die. And, and, and as he told me his story, he said, I'm probably going to cry. I said, it's all right, Kendrick. And he said, just as he was about to really panic, somebody come along that he doesn't know in a boat and scooped him up and put him in that boat and drove him to, to dry ground. And then a Houston police officer picked him up from there and took him to the shelter. But what he told me was that that Houston officer, and I wish I knew who it was, but when he dropped him off, he shared the gospel with him. And I thought about that, and I thought about the scripture where it says, one plants and another waters. And God gives the increase. And so it was my opportunity. To, I got an opportunity to, to just uh, share that gospel message again with Kendrick because he was so open to it. And, you know, what I was able to tell Kendrick was, especially when he said I was drowning, I was just simply, simply say, Kendrick, that sounds like just like where I was when I was in my sin. I was drowning. And Christ came along and scooped me up. And he was supposed to be going to Waco. He said, look, everything you see that I've got on is, is, is barred. I mean, it's... It's what people brought to the shelter. He had absolutely nothing. He lost his wallet. He lost everything. Um, and so he ended up in one of the shelters. That was a smaller shelter. And they combined the shelters down later to, to larger shelters. They started closing some of the smaller ones and getting them down to, to, the, to the bigger ones. Unfortunately, what you deal with with some of the shelters, particularly the ones downtown, uh, as people who, are, who have some f form of means or resources they begin to go with their family is they begin to get out and what's left a lot of times is folks who are homeless houston's got a large homeless population so you got people who are homeless you start to see a lot of mental uh, disease there a lot of drug addiction that's what was left and then because 
when I went back down to the George R. Brown Center, which was the one downtown, you could tell, and I had a chance to talk to some of the police officers, they'd about had it. They had just about had it because what they were dealing with then was, was, was pretty tough. But it was, it was a wonderful. So next picture. So this was a guy that I met at the, uh, the, able, the we, we hooked up with the Houston uh, chaplain, and he just rolled the red carpet out for us. He got us so much access into, this was the Union House. Um, Houston PD is Union, and the Union House is where the officers would come and just eat. I ate and ate and ate and ate, and I thought, Tammy's going to think, what did you do? You went in and gained 10 pounds. You were supposed to be on some type of mission trip. But the community really came out and fed the officers. They really did. And, and they got us into the union house and for whatever reason I was talking to this guy and he was a retired Houston officer and he just he just told me a lot of personal things that he was struggling with in his personal life and we were just he's a saved guy he's a Christian and we were just able to talk and share and so next this is the Houston police chief uh, he, he he invited us in to meet with his entire executive staff we had a chance to pray with them and present him with a bible this guy on the right his name is Jeff Kreitoff he's a police chief in Ohio and he is the uh, chaplain for the FBI National Academy. Next. This is uh, Officer Cortez. Officer Cortez was shot in the line of duty about six months ago and paralyzed. Um, he's had a few surgeries, and we had a chance to go up and see him. The chaplain asked us, uh, the two on the left are the Houston chaplains, and they asked us, would we like to go up? He had recently had a surgery, and so they had planned to go see him anyway, and they said, would you guys like to go with us? And we said, absolutely. So we've been praying for him that he could... Um, He's starting to get a little sensation back in his legs, but we're really praying that he can, he can his uh, feeling in his legs can be restored. Next. Uh, this week I had a chance to, to pray at most of the assemblies. Uh, the officers were very open in allowing us to come in and just encourage them. I mean, most every officer, the, many officers I spoke with had lost their, their cars. Many of them had lost their, some of them had lost their homes. They were, they were immediately put on 24-hour shifts right before the storm came in. And what that meant was they worked 12 hours, but they stayed in the station for 12 hours. And they had a couple stories. And the chief, he came in and addressed a large group of officers while we were there. And the chief became emotional because there was a story of an officer being in the station, couldn't leave, and his family was on the roof during the storm. So, you know, they, they, they really sacrificed a lot. They really sacrificed a lot. But this chief really did a good job in encouraging them. And I just saw him, the chief, a lot. So we got a chance to pray at the assemblies. This is a buddy of mine. I had a chance to attend something called the FBI National Academy when I was working. It's an international network, and he's a, he's a Harris County um, deputy sheriff. He's in charge of the jail. So I made that connection with him, and he gave us the tour of the jail. This was probably one of the most amazing things I got to do. So when he was letting us tour the jail, he was taking us in, and he was showing us different areas of the jail, and, but we didn't go into where the prisoners were. And he did take us into their lockdown area. And there was 23 inmates in there. And those, I'm sorry, there were 12 inmates in there. And those 12 inmates were responsible for 23 homicides. But they're locked down 24 hours a day. And one of those guys in there, during the height of the whole nasty anti-police stuff, had walked up and shot a Harris County deputy sheriff in the back of the head while he was just pumping gas in his car. I don't know if you remember that or not. But I saw, I, I saw him and his cell, and so he, he just took us in and just said, this is it, and this is where they're housed. But he takes us to this pod, and he opens the door, and the door opens. I hear him say, open the door. He opens the door, and so I wasn't expecting that, and we step in. And you can see how many men are standing there, and I'm standing there looking at him. I'm like, whoa, I wasn't planning on being here where the prisoners are. So, But I'm standing there, and, and, and what he said, um, they were very respectful. So they're all United States veterans. 
And when, when we walked in, they all come to attention because the captain, Captain Shannon, was in there, and, and they were very respectful, and he said, tell them, tell them what you're here for. And he stood up. One guy was a spokesman, and he stood up. He said, sir, we're all U.S. veterans, and we, um, you know, we've, we've made some mistakes. We've gotten messed up in some drugs. We've got some mental health issues, but we've really helped each other, and we are hoping to never have to come back here again. And if I ever felt the presence of God with me in this whole trip, I felt it there. And I, I just, just was able to pause for a minute, and I told him, I said, I said, look, I've had an opportunity to pl- pray with the police chief. I'm going to get an opportunity to pray with the sheriff and his staff. But I haven't been any more honored to pray than with who I'm about to pray with here. Because I wanted them to know, and I think this is a message for all of us, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, okay, yeah, I get to pray, pray with the police chief, good. But whether it's the chief, whether it's the president, or whether you're a prisoner, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And God is still in the redemption business. And, and those guys wanted to hear that. And they needed to hear that. And I hope that each one of them will get out and take that to heart. And, and, and he can change their lives. And I, I knew that. I knew that's what the Lord wanted me to say. And it was just an honor to say it to them. They painted that eagle on that wall. And on the far wall was, a, was an American flag that they had painted. So good group of guys. And that was the sheriff's um, executive staff. We had a chance to meet with him. And I think that's it, isn't it, Brother Mark? Okay. So there were some other stories. Um, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on that. I, it was, I, the trip was awesome. Uh, I had a chance to just to... When I go on trips like that, I was able to go down to Mississippi uh, when I was in Charlotte. The thing is, there's no television. We slept on air mattresses in, in a church. And, and it's a time you have your share time in the morning, your share time at night. So you're immersing yourself in, in, the, in the scriptures and your relationship with the Lord. And so it allows you to grow in your, it allows me to grow in my faith and hear from other people. There was one chaplain there named Doug. I do want to share this story. And at one of the share times, Doug was about 60. Somebody had mentioned something about 1985 or 6 or something like that. And Doug was sitting at the table with me, and, and Doug had driven to Houston from California. And he said, I was on the back end of a seven-year meth habit at that time. And I looked at him, and I said, Doug, really? He said, yes, I was on the back end of a seven-year meth addiction. And he just told me his testimony. He was saved at a Greg Laurie crusade. He said, when they gave the altar call, I went to the bathroom. He said, but in the bathroom, the Lord said, this is your time to go down. And he said, I went down to the altar. I got saved. And he did something that most people should do, or really everybody should do. He said, I came back, and I immersed myself in my church. And he has a life-changing testimony. And now he goes out, and he can, you know, he can witness to someone at the G.R. Brown who's maybe a drug addict because... You know, Doug was a drug addict for seven years. And, and so it was just a wonderful testimony. And I, I loved uh, talking to him and hearing. And I needed to hear testimonies like that because we see so many people struggle. And, but we do know that God is still in the business of, uh, of setting people free. So what I wanted to talk with you about tonight is this that I did and what many of you as I look around here do is what the Bible would, deter, would, would call good works. Good works. And so the question is, is this required of the Christian walk? Is it required? So you, you, you see often at times that there are those who kind of struggle in this area of salvation by faith and grace alone and those who get heavy into works doctrine. And so I just want to share with you for a few minutes. I'd love to hear from you if you have an opinion on it. 
But for those in that, that really, and I, and I think they use the scripture in error, quite frankly, when I say this. But there are those that will take Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And this is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, people will take that. There's been times people will take that scripture. And the moment you challenge them at all as a church about doing anything for the kingdom of God, you're preaching a work salvation. You're preaching a work salvation. And they'll stand on that as almost as in a defensive posture that I don't have to do a thing. I'm saved and I don't have to do a thing. And I think, I think that's an error. I think that's an error to take that approach to that. But then there are those who will take James 2, 14 through 26, and I'm not going to have that whole scripture. By the way, I got a lot of scripture. And Tammy said, you got that much scripture? How long is this going to take? Hang on to your hat because I'm going to run through it quick, okay? But they'll use James 2, 14 through 26, especially James 2, 24, where it says this. It says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. So wait a minute. We got Paul telling the church of Ephesus that it's by grace they've been saved through faith, a gift of God, not of works. And then we got James saying, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Are they contradicting each other? I think if you were to take the Bible and give it to someone who really didn't want to search the Scripture, they'd probably tell you these two men have sat right here and said something completely different. But they really haven't. You have to look at the whole content. You can't take one Scripture and formulate a basis. You have to look at everything. And you have to look at the context in which it was written and who it was written to. Chen Ho and I were talking about this, and I like this term he used. What did you say it was, Chen? Um, scriptural tension? Is that the Biblical tensions. I like that word. So there's some biblical tension between Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and James 2, 14 through 26, especially 2, 24. So what is the right answer? Well, first of all, let's take a look at what the Bible says about works. First of all, the Bible says there are many different types of works, many different types of works. The first work is the work of the law, and that's found in Galatians 2, 16. Galatians 2, 16 says this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we must be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So there's Paul again talking, just like he did to the church at Ephesus. You're not, we're not justified by the works of the law. What are the works of the law? Look, look at Galatians 3.19. It says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was pointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now 24, 3.24. Therefore the law was our tutor. The law is a good teacher, isn't it? The law is a good teacher. The law constantly reminds each of us of our sinful nature. It does me. That law is always there. Those Ten Commandments were laid out. If you break one of them, you broke them all. And even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who thought they could keep them? Jesus comes along and says, yeah, the law says that, if you, could, that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you committed adultery. 
There's the law constantly reminding us of our sinful nature. And Paul is saying, you're never justified by trying to keep it because you can't. You can't. It's a good tutor. It's a good reminder. It's a good teacher of our sinfulness. So that's the work of the law. Works of the flesh. The Bible speaks of works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Clearly nobody is saved by the works of the flesh, but the Bible speaks that there's works of the flesh. You know, as I read these things, I couldn't help but think, with exception of the murder, is that these things are so on display in our culture today, all of them. But they're never more on display than they are during an election. Have you noticed that? I mean, take the next presidential election and look at them. You'll see every one of these things, jealousies, outbursts, selfish ambitions, dissensions. And I thought, what does that say about our nation when during our election time, these works of the flesh that Paul go on full display for us all to see? Works of the flesh. Works of the law, works of flesh, works of darkness. Works of darkness. Paul, once again, Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5.11 And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. I didn't study the works of darkness too much. I would imagine that the works of darkness go hand in hand with the works of the flesh. After 28 years of law enforcement, I can tell you that when people get immersed in the works of the flesh, it leads to some very dark lifestyles. If we could peel back, particularly with the days of the Internet, if we could peel back what people are doing, we would all be shocked at some of the things people do and what they're involved in when they get immersed into the works of the flesh. Dead works. Dead works. Hebrews 6.1 Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God. Those dead works, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was. There's a lot of discussion about that. Some think it was Paul. Some think it was an acquaintance of Paul. A lot of the writings of Hebrews are very similar to Paul's language. But we don't know for sure. But we do know this. The whole book of Hebrews is about the superiority and the supremacy of Christ. It was written to a set of Jews who were still trying to hang on to the customs of the day, the laws of the day, and here they said, get away from the laying again the foundations from the repentant of dead works. Those dead works being, once again, trying to do something toward salvation. Trying to do it on your own. Dead works. Works of righteousness. Works of righteousness. Titus 3, 3 through 5. This is Paul again talking to Titus. Titus was a young Gentile preacher. He's giving instruction about how to manage a church and, and on correct doctrine. He says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, and we all were, disobedient, deceived, serving our various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But 
when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, when God and Jesus Christ appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the newing of the Holy Spirit. Not by the works of righteousness that we have done. We all think we've done some good things. We probably have. I saw a lot of people down in Houston doing some good things. But our good things don't save us. We're saved by His mercy. We're saved by His mercy. So up until this point, we have works of the law, works of the flesh, works of darkness, dead works, works of righteousness. At this point, that's why many of those things, I think exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, not by works. Not by your works of righteousness. Not by your dead works. The Bible says our righteousness, this is what? Filthy rags. Not by good things. Not by trying to keep the law. But only through his grace. But the last one is good works. Good works. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven the whole purpose of the Christian relief organizations is to go down and, and do good works so that people can see Christ. They can see what it results in in us, what we want to do for our fellow man because of our relationship with the Lord. Jesus did works. That's what pastor's been teaching on these last few things, the works that he did so that people would be drawn to him. People would be drawn to a salvation experience. People would be drawn to his father through the works that they saw him do. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Colossians 1, 10, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you would have those that would say, they would hang on to Ephesians and they'd say, you see what Paul said in Ephesians? But you've got to look at all the other letters that Paul wrote. All the, th- all the times he challenged the follower of Christ to be for good works, to be involved in good works. Ephesians 2.10. And this is right after Ephesians 2.8.9 where Paul had just talked to the church at Ephesus and had said that the salvation is by grace alone, through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. Right after that, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So clearly, works is somehow a part of our Christian experience. Is it our salvation? Is it how we're saved? Certainly it's not. But it is part of our Christian experience. So what was James, why was, what was James talking about there? You know, there is a lot of discussion today out into, in, in the circles about whether people are saved or not. How people are saved, seeing people saved. We, we, we say this in our churches, and I know we mean it. I know we mean well when we say it, but we'll say, I just want to see people saved. And I know what the intent there is, but you know what? We don't see anyone saved. That's still the greatest miracle that happens today. And there's a supernatural change of heart of a man or woman when they're drawn to the Lord by the Holy Spirit and they come down before him and repent before him. But we see the results of a salvation experience. 
And I, I, I will confess to you that there's a couple things I look for when that happens. When someone says, and I'm, I'm cynical, I don't mind telling you I'm cynical, when I hear people say, well, you know what, I, did you hear that Joe Blow got saved? Wonderful. Praise God. But I will tell you, you can just about bet that Larry Smith's next thought says, we'll see. We'll see. Because we've made it mighty easy. And folks, the, a walk with the Lord is not easy. It's not easy. We're going to struggle at times in our flesh. We're going to struggle with these things. Coach Ryan and I were talking about that, about that recently, and he, he said this, and he's absolutely right. This thing's an iron man, and it is. The walk with the Lord requires dedication, and it requires you to be, stay close to him. So what I look for when, when, when somebody says someone's had a salvation experience, I'm looking for two things as me. This is me. I'm looking for two things as it relates to works. One, are they, are they ending or are they still practicing? And that's the word Paul used. Are they practicing? Are they still practicing the works of the flesh? Are they still practicing the works of the flesh? Now, that's not to say that Christians in time don't struggle with their flesh. I think they do. I do. But I don't practice the works of the flesh any longer. And then next, are they beginning good works? Are they beginning good works? Do I begin to see them as a lot of skepticism about the church today? But I still think, I think Christ cares about the church. And I think being in the church is a big deal to the Lord. And just like Doug said, he said, I was on the back end of a seven-year meth addiction. I got saved, and I immersed myself in the church. Of people who would come along beside him and help him because he cannot do this on his own. So those are the two things I look for. Are they ending the works of the flesh, or are they still practicing the works of the flesh? And are they beginning good works? And we're all at different levels in that, in the good works. I mean, I don't work full-time anymore, so I can do things like this. Most of you are still out there working jobs. But I'm, I've, got the, I've got the A-team now here. All of you I look at, I know you're involved in some type of work for the kingdom of God. Our works have nothing to do with being saved, but everything to do with showing we are saved. But at the same token, a person can do a ton of good works and not be saved. I saw plenty of that in Houston. You see people, you see all kinds of organizations that do good things. But that doesn't mean they've had a salvation experience. I believe it is evidence of the salvation experience, and I believe that's what James was referring to. Keep in mind, James was a preacher. He was preaching to the young Jewish church. And I think he was probably dealing with one of the same things that we deal with sometimes. Those people with those mentalities that says, you can't tell me I don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything to receive that justification from the Lord. But I got to tell you, there's a guy that's one of the leaders. He works for the Billy Graham Evangelical Association. And he comes down and he gets things set up and he goes back. He's a very charismatic guy. And his name is Kevin. And I was talking to him this last time and I said, Kevin, man, you, you sure do have a way to draw people to you and point them to the Lord. And you, you really do. And he said this. He said, man, he saved my life. So I got to tell you, if we really think that the Son of God came down and died on a cross and gave himself for us, because he did, wouldn't I want to do something for him? Wouldn't, I want, wouldn't there be something in my spirit that would want to do? I, I can imagine that if I was really on death row today and somebody stepped in and said, let him go, a man who'd done nothing wrong, let him go, and I'm going to take his place. What would I do for that guy? 
I'll be forever indebted to him. I mean, forever indebted for what the Lord did for me. And it, but, but I have to caution you on something. This is not a competition. This is not a competition. That's where the devil gets involved in it. He starts getting your ear. You're not doing what this person's doing. You're not doing what that person's doing. And he'll get into the ear of the people who are doing a lot, and it becomes prideful. Look what I'm doing. Look what I, you ain't doing what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. It's not a competition. It's, but, but it's about letting the Lord lead you and guide you into working for him. One commentator put it this way. Our persons are justified by God, by grace, through faith alone. Our persons are justified by God, by grace, through faith alone. You cannot look at the thief on the cross and understand that works will not save you, cannot save you. The thief could do nothing. But with a real repentant heart, he looked at the Lord and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. I thank God for that. I had, a, I had a meeting down in Durham today, out near where my mom's buried, and I stopped by f- the graveyard for a few minutes. And, you know, when you've been preparing a message and you're thinking about it, as I look down there and she's there and down the way is Dolphus and then there's Beverly and then there's Hiram. And I stand there and you just thank God that you, I know that these people knew the Lord and didn't have to worry about whether or not they worked enough what a miserable existence to have to think you'd have to get out and work. Um, Sister Carol, that was part of the Jehovah Witness doctrine, wasn't it? Could you imagine being the one you work and work and work and work, but you just didn't work enough? Sorry, you missed it by that much. That's why the thief on the cross could be instantly justified and saved. Let me say this. Too many people, though, hide behind the, well, I'm just not called. I'm just not called to that. There are, there are unique callings. I think there's unique callings to pastors and evangelists and things like that. But they'd be correct to say they're not called. They're commanded. We're all commanded to work for the kingdom of God. Good deeds, to me, is proof of a salvation experience. And that's what James was saying. That's why he was talking about, he said, Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous the moment he believed God. But he showed that when he was willing to offer his son. He showed that he believed God. What James is saying, James is getting past the, don't talk. Yeah, anybody can talk. Basically, James said, talk is cheap. And people say, well, I believe. And you know what James said? Good. The demons believe. And they tremble. The good deeds show that we have moved from a heart experience, from a head experience to a heart experience with the Lord. Like I said, the, the, the demons believed and they trembled. We hear people a lot talk about, I believe. They may even have emotional experience. But once you see them begin to move, when, those, when that faith begins to move them to action, I think when we have a real salvation experience, it moves us to action. 
think these good deeds are very, very much to be done here in our local church as well. I appreciated what Joy said. If y'all were here last week when Joy, the uh, Egyptian lady, came and she talked about the witnessing to the Muslims. She said, have one foot in your church and one out of the church and make sure you're doing, doing both. Listen to what James said in James 2, 15 through 16. He said, if you see a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So if I see my brother or sister in need and I say, boy, I know you're hungry and I know you need something to, to wear, but have a good day. What have I done? What have I really done? if I haven't reached out and met that need. Now, I'm going to say this. The, the, the church that James was dealing with and the church we're dealing with, very different. That was a persecuted church. Most of them had lost their things because of their faith in the Lord. Today, leadership in churches, when it comes to benevolence, have to, uh, the leadership has to be careful because sometimes all we do is enable people's bad choices and they continue to make bad choices and then they get mad at the church because we, you know, the church doesn't come in and, and, and bail them out. But the point is still taken that we should help our brothers and sisters in the Lord when we see a need. In Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're still, there still, always still will be that tension between the works and the salvation. But understand this. Paul didn't contradict James. James didn't contradict Paul. Both of those men knew that salvation is by grace alone, through Christ alone. But when we really experience that, it will move us. So I want to challenge all of you, and I, like I said, I, I'm speaking to the folks here who understand this. But let's move it. Let it move us towards wanting to do something to build the kingdom of God. Witness to your neighbor. Witness to your friends. Help where you can. And many of you do. And many of you do. But let's get out and do something for the Lord. After all, he saved our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share for a few minutes. God, I thank you that you saved my life. And I thank you, God, that I don't have to work for my salvation. It is a gift from you. It is your gift. God, we, have, we can freely receive it. But God, when we really get a hold to it, but more importantly, when it gets a hold to us, it does something. James said it motivates us. It motivates us. So help us, Lord, to get out and be about your business. And where we can, God, and where you call us and where you direct us, help us, Lord, to, sh to show our salvation experience and to show our good deeds so that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark, you want to start the music, and we'll, we'll, we'll end in prayer.